Father, we want and we need more of you in our lives. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of you may recognize those words as words spoken by Jesus on the cross. These are words of pain, of agony, of heartache. You know, at some point in life, most of us will feel a pain similar to this, where we wonder, God, where are you? Suffering can leave us questioning, what are you doing, God? Where are you at? Why aren't you helping me right now? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, wrestles through the question of how we reconcile the problem of human suffering with the existence of a God who loves. I'm sure that many Christians in Ukraine feel this on a daily basis right now, wondering why their cities and their lives are literally being destroyed. Maybe you've been in a, in a place in your past where you felt unimaginable darkness and you felt like God had abandoned you, and in our brokenness, we shout out like Jesus, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that Jesus was actually quoting scripture here? So he's quoting from the book of Psalms chapter 22. Today we're about five days from Good Friday, a day on which we remember the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ that happened about 2,000 years ago. You know, Good Friday, like when you think about the name of it, it is kind of an odd name to commemorate someone's death. Uh, A friend recently showed me this meme, I thought it was funny. Check this out. So uh, last service, no one laughed either, so they added the laugh track to make me feel a little better about myself. <laughs> uh, well, Good Friday is actually one of the oldest Christian holidays, with some sources dating its recognition back to as early as 100 AD. We call it good uh, because it's the day we remember Christ's saving sacrifice for us. We've been in this, the middle of this season as our church where we're asking God to show us more of himself. We want him to move, we want him to transform marriages, we want him to free us from our sin and heal our brokenness. And so during this season of fasting and prayer that ends on Easter, we've been studying different Psalms. Because Psalms is a book of prayer and of raw longing for more of God to be realized in our world. And so there, there seemed not to be a better psalm for this week than that of Psalm 22, the very psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross, and a psalm that's woven with these images that point to Jesus. Because all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is present, he is promised or prophesied, and he is patterned. When we begin to recognize that Jesus is woven throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, the whole Bible takes on new meaning. And so when we read Psalm 22 with that lens, we realize in it that Jesus is implicitly promised or prophesied. How do we know that this is a prophecy? Uh, So 
First, the imagery, it directly correlates with Jesus' experience. But then second, Jesus draws the correlation himself when he quotes it on the cross. And so before we get to the place where Jesus is quoting those words of agony, we have to understand the moments that led to it. In the days leading up to the cross, Jesus experienced more trauma, more abuse, and scorn than most of us do in a lifetime. Over these next few moments, there will be some images on the screen that are a little gruesome. They're images from the Passion of Christ movie. And so if you are sensitive to violent images, I'd encourage you just to close your eyes and listen to my voice for the next few minutes. But in the days leading up to the cross, Jesus was abandoned by all of his close friends. He was alone in his most painful moments of prayer. He was abandoned by all of his friends who said that they'd be by his side no matter what. He was accused of wrongdoing he had never done. He was put on trial. He was beaten. He was spat on as if he was worthless. He was brutally whipped in a way that would have torn his flesh from his bones. He was stripped of his clothes by the Romans and he was mocked while a crown of thorns was smashed onto his head. Psalm 22 says prophetically, you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet and my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my my garment. You see, these words were written thousands of years before Jesus, but they speak to his exact experience being mocked by enemies all around, his clothes being divided and played over as sport, and his hands and feet being pierced. All of those things happened to Jesus, and so Jesus then walked an agonizingly painful death to Golgotha, or path to Golgotha, where uh, he would be put to death. And it was on that hill that Jesus was nailed, hands and feet to planks of wood, and hung on a cross to die, suffocating in his own blood. It's on that cross that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 continues, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Like, even though I cry, I hear nothing, and I don't know where you are. This is the cry of Jesus on the cross and the cry of David in this psalm. In life, there are these moments when we cry out to God and we just don't know where he is. He seemingly doesn't answer, he doesn't reply, and life is filled with this sense of darkness. St. John of the Cross called this a dark night of the soul, a season where we're deeply disturbed by our suffering. And there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel no hope of a way out, and our heart is filled with more questions than answers. 
You know, everyone's suffering is unique to them, and it comes in waves and seasons. Uh, for some, maybe COVID, the COVID pandemic was a season that was a dark night of the soul for you, stuck in loneliness, frustration, fear, with more questions than answers. Perhaps for you, you were raised in an abusive or neglectful home where the idea of a loving God existing couldn't feel further from the truth. One in six children suffer through abusive or traumatic experiences that affect them for a lifetime. Or your dark night of the soul may have been prompted by the death of a loved one, uh, someone who meant the world to you. And your primary question to God is, why? Kayla and I have been in this season that one in eight couples face, infertility, years of hope met with disappointment and heartache wear on your soul. And it's, it's, infertility has left us with more questions than answers. David continues in Psalm 22 with this transitional statement. He says, yet you. He starts to speak to a contrast. Yet you, speaking to God, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. You see, you can almost feel the bewilderment in his voice here. The contrast in his experience from theirs. Like, here I am forsaken and you delivered them. Like, uh, when they cried out to you, you answered, but I cry out and I receive silence. The perceived injustice of God's silence often makes our suffering feel even more agonizing. When we look around and we see the flourishing of others or how God seemingly answered someone else's prayer, but you continue to suffer, like, what do you do with that? This is the experience of Christ on the cross. And so I want to rewind just a few years prior to Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And after coming up out of the water of the Jordan River, there's this powerful moment where the heavens opened and the Spirit of God came down on Jesus and God spoke This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You know those moments in life that you look back on, and they're sort of bedrock moments for you in your journey that shape your identity and they shape your future. This would have been one of those moments for Jesus, where uh, a moment when his identity was spoken over him, where God declares his love and pleasure over his son, and it's the moment of Jesus' commissioning to change the world. We have these, these highs, these bedrock foundational moments where God is nearer than we ever imagined. And then we have these other moments, these dark nights of the soul, where God feels more distant than we could have fathomed. And our identity comes into question. God's identity comes into question. The psalmist, he continues, he says, but I am a worm, this strong identity statement and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people, all who see me mock me. (laughs) You know, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. 
I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me like he has nothing left. He's defeated. His very identity is called into question. And it's in those moments when we feel like we can't go on anymore. What do we do? What do we do when we feel like everything's being stripped away from us, and when we feel like our identity is shaken by our pain? How do we move forward? Well, Jesus in Psalms give us a bit of direction here. So first, through this, throughout this prayer of utter pain, we actually find words of trust and intimacy. In the very first verse, now this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words, my God, could appropriately be interpreted as my father. This is strikingly personal and intimate that Jesus isn't crying out to a distant deity, but rather to his dear dad. My God, my God, crying out to his dad in heaven, the one who spoke over him, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus doesn't deny his father in his darkest moment. Rather, he lays his heart on the table in front of him. Here is all of me, Father. Here is my agony. Our tendency as people, as humans, in suffering is to withdraw from relationship and therefore also to withdraw from our relationship with God. But here Jesus shows us a different way that the best way through our suffering is to lean into relationship rather than withdrawing. This applies to both our our relationship with God and Christian community. You know, here at OCC, we value sharing life together. We want to walk through pain in the thick of it all with one another because we need each other. Here this past semester, a few of our small groups went through Rooted. This experience tailored to help people connect with God and each other. And Rooted pushed a couple of our groups into levels of authenticity that they'd hardly scratched before. And now they're beginning this life of living more authentically before one another, and which cultivates a life sustained through hardship. We have several groups that meet throughout the year to walk through pain and grief and loss and things like divorce and grief share and divorce care. And in each of these, that kind of shared life, it sustains us in hardship. But we also need to lean into our relationship with God, like Jesus crying out in our intimate heartache, my God, my God. The psalmist continues to unpack his relationship with God later. He says this, yet you, Father, God, brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. There is such intimacy in that language. Like from before I was born, you were mine and I was yours. I've always belonged to you and you've always belonged to me. Like in his darkest moment, he declares his connection with God and he remembers the bigger picture, the grander story of God's involvement in his life. When we're suffering 
It is so easy to forget the larger story of God's work in our lives or in the world. And we begin to have sort of this tunnel vision where our minds focus only on the negative and the pain right in front of us. And soon enough, all that we're able to see or even remember is the pain. Neurologically and psychologically speaking, uh, we're actually able to alter our memories by the way that we remember. So our past memories, they're bound together with the emotion that we feel in the moment we're remembering. So let me give an example. Let's say that you went hunting with your dad as a kid, and most of your experiences were amazing. Uh, but one time, you saw a bear and you were terrified. Right? Now, so now as an adult, any time that you get frightened, you associate that with hunting as a kid. So how are you going to remember hunting with your dad? With fear. Or, as an adult, you have your own son. You start to go hunting with him, and it, it, when you do, it reminds you of the fond memories you have with your dad in your past. If that's what you reflect on, how will you remember your hunting experiences? You'll cherish them. Like, wh why do I say this? You see, our perspective, it changes our memories, our minds, and our emotions. And in the same way, our perspective changes our suffering. In this psalm, the psalmist, he chose to remember this intimate, enduring relationship he had with his father in heaven. You know, he was real about the pain he was going through, but he also didn't start complaining like, you know, God, this reminds me of that time over there you weren't there for me, and this other time that you didn't come through for me. But rather, he says, you were with me at birth, and you are with me now. He got through his moment of suffering by remembering the greater story. So what is the story that you play out in your mind throughout your suffering? Our story, our frame of mind, it shapes our suffering. So we need to be curious about our perspective. So how do we move forward through suffering? We lean into relationship. We're mindful of our perspective and then find comfort in God's presence. Psalm 22 continues, he says, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength, come quickly to help me. Now, as John taught a few weeks back, this word Lord in all caps is the Hebrew name that God gave himself, Yahweh. It means I am who I am. He is the all-existing one, the one who is ever-present and always will be who he is. So even in our darkest moments, when it feels like God has abandoned us, the truth is that he is still right alongside us. He sees us. He feels your emotion, your heart, and he cares. It's in God's presence with us that we find strength to move forward. You know, we do look to a lot of other methods to try to numb our pain or find strength. You know, maybe we turn on the TV and we, we numb our minds with Netflix, or we crack open another can of beer, or we create the, the perfectly curated life on Instagram, or we bottle it all up until we explode on those closest to us. What would it look like instead to take our pain to God and to say like Jesus and like the psalmist, you are my strength. Because we can find comfort in God's presence with us. 
This entire psalm, it points to Jesus' suffering, but although I've asked a lot of questions about our own human suffering here this morning, the, the question that we haven't yet asked is this, like, why did Jesus suffer? Why did the Son of God allow himself to be beaten, to be mocked, to be humiliated, to be scorned and rebuked and treated as if he were less than human? Like, why? Why would the Son of God allow himself to go through that? Well, Psalm 22 takes this massive turn and it concludes with these words. It says, all the ends of the earth will remember and they'll turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. What has he done? He did what no one else could ever do before. He did what was needed, what was necessary in order to rescue us from the pain that we are in. Peter said it well. He said, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's Jesus for us to bring us to God. Jesus' suffering was for you. It was for me. The conclusion of this psalm, it feels so much like the final words of Jesus on the cross when he says, it is finished. He has done it. But we miss the significance of Jesus' suffering in his death if we uh, don't realize that, ev that evil has consequences and our hearts are evil. We were by nature deserving of punishment because of sin and the evil within us. But God wanted to rescue us. He wanted to bring us to God. And so Jesus chose to suffer all of this for you and for me. And he did it. It is finished. The price for our sin has been paid and so our freedom has been bought. God's love has been shown once and for all. And so now the choice is ours. Like what are we going to do with that? Will we stay the same like subtly ignoring our own evil and the remarkable love of God, or will we be forever changed? The title of this sermon is More of the Cross, and so what does it even mean? What does it mean to have more of the cross in our lives? First, it reminds us that we need saving. Second, it demonstrates to us how much we are loved. And third, it guides us into living a transformed life on mission for Christ, telling the next generation of people yet unborn, he has done it. Friends, you don't need to suffer alone. You have a God who empathizes with you. You have a God who's willing to experience agony for you. You have a God that you can trust even in your darkest hour. And so like the psalmist, we lean into a relationship, we're mindful of our perspective, and we find comfort in Christ's presence. Because truly, the night is darkest before the dawn. But there will be a dawn. Because Jesus has done it, it is finished. The price for evil has been paid. And so next week, we're going to talk about the dawn of new life and God's amazing grace. The story doesn't end with Jesus' death. 
But for today, we remember his sacrifice.